I'm going to read our scripture for us this morning. The passage is Colossians 1, starting with verse 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father, our Lord, Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard your faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Before we jump into the sermon, I, it was a joy to be able to serve at Ruby's Pantry yesterday. I have many thoughts and reflections and observations. I want to share them all, but I'm going to share just one. As we were all set up, ready to go, and the cars were just about to come in, the gentleman I was standing next to said, and I don't, I don't think he's here, so I think it's someone from the community, another church perhaps, or neighborhood, he looked at me and he said, so you're ready to do some heavy lifting? I said, yep. He's like, of course you are. You grew up on the farm. I said, well, I actually grew up in the city. He goes, city kid. <laughs> farm kid, city kid. <laughs> I don't know how many notches I went down. <laughs> I think I kept up. I don't know. So I know my place. It's good to be with you. <laughs> Time still will tell, huh? Well, a good portion of my career has been spent in camping ministry. It's a setting that God uses to change lives as individuals, old and young, encounter God in a powerful way. Often when we think of camp, uh, it's common to think of kids going to summer camp, and when that happens, invariably there's a scene that gets played out again and again and again when kids are being dropped off. The scene isn't necessarily unique to camping. In fact, it's a scene that happens whenever there's a parent and a child, and the child wants to buy something, but they don't have any money of their own. In the camp setting, money is needed for canteen or the camp store. So here's the scene. The child 
gets dropped off, and as they're saying goodbye to their parents, they realize that they need some money. So here's Sally standing in front of their parents about to ask for some money. Who is she going to ask for money? Now, a good kid strategy says, go to the one who is going to say yes. Is Sally daddy's princess and dad has a hard time saying no, so that would be the person to go to? Or is Sally mom's mini-me? And mom doesn't want to deprive Sally of all the things that she was deprived of as a child and so has a hard time saying to no. Sally doesn't necessarily know or understand these psychological dynamics. <laughs> what Sally does understand, though, is if one parent says no, she can go to the next one as long as they're separated and they don't know that the other one already said no, because usually there's a team thing going on. If one says no, then the other one, well, it's no. So who does Sally go to? Sally also knows to go to the one, not, not just to go to the one that says yes, but more importantly, she knows to go to the one who has money. If mom never carries cash, Sally, there's no reason to go to mom. And if dad's wallet is always empty, there's no reason to go to dad. Sally is going to go to the one who can provide. Welcome to prayer. Prayer, while on a big level, is simply talking and listening to God, a way to deepen our relationship with God, when it comes to the provision of our lives, prayer is about going to the source. Going to the one who will provide, who has the power, who makes things happen. And this is a common thread in Paul's prayers that he has for his churches. It is God, the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of God that provides everything in our lives and will fulfill our requests according to his word. Starting today and over the next several weeks, uh, we're going to look through and go through the book of Colossians. I thought, well, let's just, let's start with the book of the Bible. <laughs> we're going to go through that. Next week, we're going to have uh, missionary Leanne Peterson's going to share, and we're excited to hear from her, have her with us. But then ongoing after that, going through the book. So Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul and Timothy. This is how it starts. Timothy was most likely the one who did the writing while Paul um, was verbalizing what to write. The church was planted in Colossae by a local man after this local man hurt Paul when Paul was in Ephesus during one of his missionary trips. Paul was there, we understand, between the years 52 and 55. Epiphas was um, then in Ephesus, he heard the good news of Jesus Christ, he returned back home to Colossae, and then he started to tell other people about the Messiah, Jesus, who is the Christ, the Savior of the world. And a church started. Paul, when he wrote this letter, was most likely writing it in the year of 62 AD, and he was most likely in prison at the time, under Rome guard. One of the reasons why Paul writes the letters is just for general encouragement for the people in their faith. He wants believers along, not just these early church believers, but all believers to continue to mature in their faith and in their holiness in Christ. Paul, as we look at his letters, has some established patterns, um, which includes a greeting, 
words of thanksgiving, and a prayer. Paul and his writings are deep and rich, and there is no way we're going to take on every single thought that the letters have, that the verses I read have here this morning. But we're, so we're just going to take on a few each time, a few thoughts. The first thought here is just the fact that Paul prays for this church. He's not praying for the institution of the church, but for the people of the church. And what a great thing to be part of our worship service this week and every week. Intentional time to pause and to pray. The church is individuals. It's a community of people coming together, committed to follow Jesus Christ with their lives and a desire to spread the good news of Jesus Christ through word and action. Worshiping together, serving together, caring for each other are all that it means to have um, to be the church. And with that, it means praying for each other. Often we pray for our concerns, but you don't need a concern to pray for someone. You can just pray for them. If someone is a part of this church, then pray for them. Pray for me. <laughs> pray for us. I now get to be a part of this church, and you get to be in my prayers. I took a directory a couple of months ago already. Yeah. I see the names. They're in my prayers. What a wonderful action step that we see right away from Paul in his letter to the early church for what it means to be the church. Someone may wonder, if there isn't a prayer request to pray for, then, then what is it? Uh, uh, that we are to pray for. Well, it may sound too simplistic, and I don't mean to be obvious, but looking at Paul's prayer, we are to pray for God's will. Verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. When we pray God's will... It is an acknowledgement on our part that our wisdom is not as good as God's wisdom, that our insight is not as deep as God's insight, that our motives are not as pure as God's motives. As humans with a free will, we are able to think and act in ways that would be contradictory to God's will. And we see this right away with the first two humans that were created in the Bible, Adam and Eve. We're instructed to eat the fruit from any tree in the garden of Eden except these trees of knowledge of good and evil. This was part of God's will for their life. God had put a boundary on their behavior for their good. How do I know it's for their good? Because of who God is. God's boundaries are for our good. It may feel like they lead to restrictions, that they keep us captive, but the reality is, though, the boundaries, the do-nots we see in the Bible, actually, what they actually do is they lead to freedom. Adam and Eve, then, as the story goes, as we can read it, were tricked. They were tricked by the devil into thinking that they would be like God. They were tricked into thinking that they would have more freedom if they ate the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They were tricked into thinking that life would be better if they did what they wanted to do versus following God's rules of what to do and what not to do. And those tricks by the devil keep working 
on each person throughout all of human history. What was true for Adam and Eve is true for us. We have our will, our desires, our wishes, and then there's God's will, God's desires and God's wishes. Now that isn't to say that those two things are always going to be contradictory. Often, these things can line up. And this is the reason why Paul prays for the church, that the church would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Paul wants them to line up. He wants our human will to line up with God's will. And when this happens, our life becomes better. Life is better when we are living out God's will. And not just our life, but all of human life. When God says, look after the widow, the widow's life is better. When God says, look after the orphan, the orphan's life is better. When God says, feed the hungry, those who are hungry have a better life. When God says, clothe the naked, those who need clothes have a better life. When God says, be hospitable to the stranger, then that stranger's life is better. When God says, care for those in your biological family, then those in your family will have a better life. And the list could go on and on. We are to verbally share the good news. We are to gather for corporate worship. We are to pray without ceasing. We are to love the Lord our, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to value others above ourselves, not looking just to our own interests, but to the interests of others. This is God's will for your life. And the least can keep going and going. It's easy to conclude that God wants us to carry out his will for the betterment of others, but it isn't just their lives that get better. <laughs> Your life, my life, our life is better as the result of living out God's will. When it comes to the church in Corinth, in Colossae, we're in Colossians, not Corinthians. Paul's prayer for the knowledge of God's will is important because those people in that church at that time are spiritually immature. They are not able to discern what's important. Their struggle is with, a com with competing worldviews and then also with that competing world values. Specifically, there's a struggle in the early churches of understanding the freedom that followers of Christ have from um, sort of disengaging and not needing to be that strict legalistic following of the Jewish law. Not that it, it's done away with, Christ fulfills it, but a lot of Paul is helping people to understand this freedom now that they have. Those in the Colossae church are not living a life worthy of God, and that is why Paul is praying that they would know God's will. See, there is no noticeable difference between the people in this church and those around them. So Paul's prayer for the people to know God's will is not so, so that they can have more head knowledge in their lives, but that they may look and act different. Knowledge is important. Knowledge of God is important, but it is not the end goal. 
Having knowledge of God, knowing about God, being able to accurately describe the characteristics of God, that isn't enough, and that isn't the goal. The goal for Christ followers is transformed lives, which cannot happen without knowing, understanding, and then living out God's will. If a Christ believer from Ellsworth, Wisconsin, or Hager City, Wisconsin, or, or uh, Red Wing, Minnesota in 2023 looks like a non-believer's life, also from Ellsworth, or Hager City, or Red Wing, then that believer, if it looks the same, then that believer is spiritually immature. When this is the case, then knowing God's will is the prayer to be prayed. The other part of Paul's prayer that we're going to look at this morning is in verse 11. He is praying that the people would have great endurance and patience. Whenever I hear the word endurance, I think of like a cardio workout. Quoting from heart.org, it says, endurance activities are those activities that increase your breathing and heart rate, such as walking, jogging, swimming, biking. And that is exactly what I am thinking of when I think of endurance. After seeing this list, I became curious to see what is the longest anyone has done any of these activities. And I was surprised by the results. The longest walk was 2,435 days from 1977 to 83, where this person, George Megan, walked 19,019 miles. A person by the name of Carnizes ran 350 miles nonstop back in 2005. They were running slash jogging for 80 hours and 44 minutes straight. The longest swim in open water without flippers was completed by Rogasik in 2006. He swam 139.8 miles, 50 hours, 10 minutes. The longest bike journey in a single country, which was Australia, happened in June of 2017 through until February 2018. 245 days, Benjamin Woods biked 11,757 miles, about 48 miles a day. Impressive. Now, ScienceDirect.com takes a slightly different look at endurance, telling us that endurance is the ability to perform work over an extended period of time. We need endurance to perform Repetitive activities of daily living, such as stirring food while cooking, using a blow dryer to dry our hair, or walking up steps. I guess if I was going to brag about my endurance, it's really tempting to use the sciencedirect.com's definition and feel good that I have the endurance to blow dry my hair. <laughs> wow, Pastor Joel, you are, you're so much endurance. Just keep moving the chicken, that's, that's all I heard you. So the word endurance often is used in our correlation to our physical ability. But that is not 
what Paul is praying for. He is not praying that people will have more physical ability to go on long runs or make lots of food. His prayer for endurance is for people to have the ability to hang on over a long period of time, specifically to hold on to one's commitment in the face of adversity. What is the adversity? Life. Life and all the experiences of life that wear us down is the adversity. Paul knows it takes endurance to follow Jesus for years and years and years, which morphs into decades and decades. It takes endurance to be committed to a cause, an organization, the church, that is filled with flawed human beings and sometimes makes it hard to get along with or makes it hard to move forward. Thinking about Bethel, your patience and endurance is being tested as you wait for your next permanent pastor. If you were to get it right away, (laughs) you can't grow in this area. The prayer is for endurance and patience. It takes endurance to continually stand up for your faith in the workplace or to stand up for your faith in your family where there are few believers or to stand up for your faith with your friends who think it's weird to be a Christian. This is the endurance that Paul is praying for. Spiritual endurance. Paul is praying for ongoing energy, for people to stay strong to their commitment to Christ, to the faith, and to the local church. Adversity may keep coming, and so Paul is also praying for patience. That is, he wants people to be calm, to not get riled up, to have the emotional capacity to wait it out, knowing that someday, someday, at some point, the hard times will end. What a great prayer that Paul has for the people of Colossae and for us today. These prayers are meant to impact our lives. As Paul meant them to impact the lives of the people he was writing to in that day, they had that same intention and power to impact our lives today. God wants you to be a people of prayer. We begin all endeavors with prayer, to be praying for each other. So we begin, interim pastor Joel, here today with prayer. God wants you to know his will, to be spiritually mature, And God is eager to give you more endurance and more patience as you navigate the adverse events that life sometimes brings. Amen.